0: Welcome to Design Your Life, the podcast where we explore the central role design plays in our everyday lives and how, if harnessed correctly, has the power to positively transform the way that we live, design better businesses and sustainable solutions for the planet. We speak to creative entrepreneurs around the world about how they inspire their ideas to life and how they make it all work and the role design plays in their lives. I'm your host, founder of Frost Collective and author of Design Your Life,
1: At Frost Collective, we are dedicated to designing a better world. Our specialist teams work across branding, strategy, place visioning and wayfinding, solving problems with empathy and creativity to design experiences that benefit people, business and the planet. And as a proud certified B Corp, we meet the highest environmental and social standards by balancing profit with our purpose to design a better world. To find out more, head to frostcollective.com.au.
0: Welcome to today's episode of Design Your Life, our first episode of 2023. Today, I'm joined by the acclaimed designer, author, and really good friend of mine, Kevin Finn. Most designers who've been around in the industry for the past 15 years will know his brilliant design journal, Open Manifesto, where he interviewed hundreds of creative leaders around the world, of which I was lucky enough to be the first one ever back in 2004, which was interesting reading today. Tune in as we chat about how he started out his career in Dublin, working for the studio that designed all of the U2 albums, how he ended up as the only designer in Kananara, a town of 5,000 people in remote Western Australia, and his latest book, Brand Principles on How to Be a 21st Century Brand. Kevin Finn, <laughs> welcome to Design Your Life. It's so cool to have you here.
1: Oh, it's amazing to be here. Thank you, Vince.
0: Oh, man. We're, we're in Sydney right now. Yes. Um, and you've just come back from a wonderful trip in Japan.
1: Yeah, first family trip since COVID. So, yeah, yeah three weeks in Japan, two days in Brisbane and down in Sydney.
0: Jesus. So how does <laughs> it has a feel to be free and to get out and about now?
1: Um, it It's really amazing to be able to travel again, but it's still got the hangovers of the... Um, COVID restrictions, particularly in Japan. There's a lot of mask wearing, a lot of temperature checking still. Um, Oh, really? Yeah, it was actually quite difficult going through the airport because Mm. we we had to run through three levels of COVID verification. Um, Mm. It took us two hours, I think, to get through the airport.
0: Jeez, I went to New York and... uh london last month and it was just there was no restrictions <laughs> at all it was just like flying through
1: well japan just only reopened in middle of october 14th okay. of october okay. it was crazy we we bought our ticket to fly to japan early october right and we heard it was still closed so we cancelled our ticket and then we thought let's roll the dice and just rebuy it because yeah. i'm sure it'll open two days later it opened again and we were oh, great we can we can fly Japan opened on 14th of October, and literally on the 15th, 16th, tickets to fly there doubled from what we'd bought. Wow. Just because it was open, people went Good timing. Yeah.
0: Good timing and trusting your gut. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, So we've known each other for a couple of decades, I reckon. Yep. Um, And we met in Sydney. Yep. And uh, you're from Ireland. I'm from London. And we met in Sydney, funny enough. Is
1: London a country? (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh, hang on. No, okay, all right. Uh, the UK. Um, well, that's part of. Yes, <laughs> we're, we're all yeah. we're all related. Okay. Yeah. But anyway,s we met we met in London. Oh god, now I'm confused. We met in Sydney. <laughs> yep. Um, around must have been 2004 or something. Yep. And um, you reached out to me. You were doing your open manifesto book. Hmm. I was one of your first.
1: I was the first interview oh, I, ever, I ever did.
0: Yep. You've done hundreds since. Done a lot, Four thousands.
1: No, I wouldn't say thousands. Um, and, and it
0: was it was really really cool. And I was like, you know, it was, it was it was always I was thrilled to be able to have a chat to you. And what 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 was really cool is when the manifesto open manifesto came out, it was kind of word for word. Like we had mm. a very long conversation, and I'm sure this one will yep. pan out to be one as well. And you p- published it like yep. word for word. <laughs> and I was like, most people would. Sense check that or, yep. or edit it and um, you know maybe alter it in some way. But I thought it was yeah. really cool how you just was just pure very pure yep. about that.
1: It was deliberate. I mean you could also say that it was naive and inexperienced, but I actually knew I thought that at the time. <laughs> no, I knew because I was an avid reader of our field and, and the mm. trade press and books and everything. And I always felt that all of the interviews and all of the stuff was quite polished. And I was interested in in authenticity, possibly mm. before it was trendy to be authentic. The truth, I guess. Yeah, just to say, well, how do people come across? And I, rem- I remember you saying to me when you read the transcript, you said, oh, gee, my mum might not be happy with my, my cursing. <laughs> and I said, <laughs> we can take it out, but that, that is how the conversation rolled. Yeah. And I think there's something beautiful about how people respond um, spontaneously to a question. And a lot of people said to me over the years that the. The personality of people came through in the words mm. um, because I wasn't trying to edit it to be polished yeah. um partly because I wasn't an editor, but also i didn't want it to be that way. I wanted it to be real
0: I thought also it was interesting <clears throat> you didn't show any pictures; it was just purely yep. most creative publications show the work, and yeah, you know the the words <clears throat> are secondary, but you put the words first in their true yeah. honest, unedited um, position away
1: yeah um part part of that again was deliberate because. Most of the interviews that I'd been reading and seeing, um, <clears throat> they were about the work. They were about the designer or the practitioner or, wh- or whomever and about their work. And I was thinking there's plenty of that out there. Mm. I'm interested in what led to the work. What's the thinking behind it? Mm. What are the principles and what are the, um, what's the thought process that gets yeah, yeah. people to get to the work? And there are no pictures for that. I mean, you could put scribbles in and notes and stuff, but then that, again, is to focus on the work. So I was very much about um, let's get a sense of the mindset behind it. Mm. Let's get a sense of who people really are and what drives them mm. and what they're interested in, yeah. which eventually shows up in the work.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We see enough of the work. If you want to see the work, go to their website. If you want to hear about what they think about the work, there's plenty of interviews. We don't hear about how people think about the world and then how that shows up in the work. And that yeah. was something that I was keen to do.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, and i came come across really, really, <clears throat> really, really well. And, um, you know, my interview, I don't know, it was like 20 pages. <laughs> it was a lot. <laughs> it was a lot to get through. And uh, I read it recently. I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to read this and see if there's anything in it that I regret yep. saying or yep. that didn't come true. Because it's, it's been like 18 years, um, I think. Yeah, it's, yeah. Um, but we're going to talk about your book in a second. Sure. Big book here, Brand Principles. Um, it's not to scale. <laughs> not to scale, uh, we've got it here, uh, a smaller a smaller one, and it's available online. Um, really, really cool and exciting that you've done that. Um, still, not a huge amount of, there's no pictures, but there's <laughs> illustrations. So very, very, um, very yeah. rich with content and um, really, really exciting. But talk, let's talk about, I mean, obviously you're, you're an author, uh, you're a writer, you're a designer, uh, you're a dad, um, and you're passionate about design and ideas and Branding and passionate about helping people, and I yep. think that's really, really cool, and that's why we, we, we connect so well yep. in terms of we have shared uh, ambitions and shared purpose in a way yep and, and similarities with the podcast too kind of the podcast is about talking to people like you who and, and trying to for me I'm just intrigued by people yeah. how they think, why they get out of bed, <clears throat> what do they do, mm-hmm. the tough times they've had in their lives and how they've navigated that, the good times and mm. you know what makes people who they are. And, and yep. at the end of the day, I, I keep saying that we're just humans trying to make sense of the world and trying to make it work totally in the best possible way. And design plays a massive part in that. Yep, You can design your life. You can design, mm. uh, uh, I guess, a goal and a journey and how you might, uh, might create that. Mm. But let's talk about your, kind of your early career. How did you get into design in the first place?
1: By accident. I mean, it's a, a cliche for people maybe of our generation that... Um, we sort of fell into it. Mm-hmm. I uh, had no idea about design. Didn't know what it was, uh, graphic design particularly. Um, Were you in a boy band a before or what? No, but I was, when I was, um, I think I was 14.
0: Actually, by the way, you don't age. Why, what's going on there? <laughs> you look just the same as you did 20 years ago. Anyway, uh, get back to the, get back no, to the story. Um,
1: when I was about 14, um, my brother Came back from a trip to Dublin. I'm from the west coast of Ireland, a little place called Sligo. Um, <clears throat> my brother came back from Dublin with two albums. Sligo. Sligo. Oh right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, he came back with uh, a Cocteau Twins album. Oh, and they were so good. Four ads uh, I think it was their first compilation album, "Lonely Is an Eyesore," which had Dead Can Dance and throwing muses, <clears throat> throwing muses, and a whole bunch of people on it. And to me, this was like another world. Yeah. I was like, what is this music? Mm. It's transported me into this other space yeah that I and I started to get interested in 4AD records and I also saw the album covers they were like this is so different to Mm. Dire Straits and Simple Minds and all the other stuff that was going on at the time and age 14 I I, I got interested not just in the music but everything about 4AD and I probably was about 16 when I realized that it was someone's job to do the album covers, mm. and of course we know it was Vaughn Oliver and yeah. his assistant Chris Bigg. Um,
0: so he sadly passed away.
1: Yeah, long ago, yeah. I actually um, got to connect with Vaughn um, in the last couple of years of his life, and we were planning on a trip for him to come out here mm. to do a whole tour, and um, I think a year later he passed away, so um, that was very sad. So I kind of knew there was a thing where there was a job to do album covers, yeah. didn't know it was graphic design. Yeah, yeah. So I finished my schooling and I didn't know what to do, but my brother, um, he was doing computer programming in a a college right across the street from our house. And my mum and dad said, well, you can probably go and do that. And I thought, if I do computer programming, that might get me into computer graphics. I think that's a thing. So maybe I should do that. And I was two weeks into it and I hated it. I hated it. And my girlfriend at the time, she was doing this course called Graphic Design in a different town.
0: You were sixteen. You had a girlfriend. I mean, you started young, didn't you? <laughs>
1: <laughs> and and she, she come back from the weekends and said, "This is the stuff I'm doing during the day, and this this oh, is my yeah. assignments." And I thought, oh, I know, don't know what that is, but it's interesting. Yeah. So I remember uh, I walked her to the to the bus going back to where she was studying, and I came back to mum and dad uh, at home and. They were in bed, and I knocked on the door, and I said, "I'm home, and I'm just about to go to bed, and good night." And they're like, "Yeah, good night." I shut the door, and I immediately opened it again and said, "Oh, and by the way, I'm not doing computer programming next year." And they both looked at me and went, You're "Get ruined, in here, ruin their sleep. Get in here. What are you talking about?" Yeah. And I said, "I'm not interested in computer programming, but there's a thing called graphic design that I think is what I want to do." My dad said, "Can you get a job in that?" And I said. I was winging it I said at the end of every television program there's always a graphic design title and he went yeah. that's true yeah. and my mum looked at me and said you're not doing graphic design next year and I was just about to launch into a defence and she said you're doing it this year you're not going to waste a year let's get you into your course This like in the next couple of weeks and the next week I was in the same college as my girlfriend was doing that course and it wasn't until the second year that I realised what graphic design was I just thought it was Doing creative stuff, yeah, and um, that's how I got into it. So, how cool is that? What a
0: great story! And then, so you 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 pick it up quite quickly.
1: Um, I never had the confidence to think I would ever have an original idea. Yeah. Um, When I got my diploma, which was a three-year course, I remember graduating and saying, "I am not ready for the world. I can't go and get a job. I don't think I'm good. I don't think I'm good enough." I did a. You've always been hard on yourself. I think it's it's something that we suffer from. It's that imposter syndrome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um no, I and, and but I I I thought it's I've got to, I know enough about it to wanna to give it a go and I'll do my best. So so I did. So what did you do after that? <clears throat> well, after well, I went on and did a year um degree, uh which changed my life actually, and how I thought about design. And then at the time, London was the mecca for design. Mm-hmm. So I said, I'm, I'm going to go to London. And I went to London and I met up with Why Not Associates and I met up with Tomato and a whole bunch of people who were big at the time. And they all said, we'll put you on a freelance list. You know, we'll mm-hmm. give you work freelance. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I can't afford to be in London waiting for the phone to ring. So I've got two risks in front of me. The first risk is, do I go to London and just wait for the phone to ring? or do I take what I thought at the time was the bigger risk and go back to Dublin, which I did. And uh, and that turned out to be a, a good choice as well. Uh, I got some incredible experience in, in Dublin. But
0: well, where did you work in Dublin?
1: The first <coughs> first job I had was very much I mean, in Donald's? the corporate no. space. <laughs> <and> I, <coughs> it, was in, it was in the corporate space, yeah. and we're doing a lot of banking, financial stuff and everything, but uh, I learned a lot of the discipline of design, Um and the practical side of design. And what really changed for me then was my senior designer, the guy that was hired at the same time as I was, a guy called Chris O'Shaughnessy, he never treated me like a junior. He said straight up, we're equals, which is incredible for, like, I was straight out of school, Mm -hmm. and he was an experienced designer, and he said, we're going to work together as equals. And... um,
0: well, you're going to do all the work and I'm going no. to go down the pub. No.
1: no, no. He was like, we will have ideas together. We will critique oh, each other. Cool. We will. And he he really nurtured an approach that I then held for my entire career wow. so far, where I I always, when I was working at, at Satya Design, I always would say, seniority doesn't win, experience does. Mm-hmm. So if you're a junior and you've got experience in something, we listen to you. If you're senior and you've got experience in, we'll listen to you. Doesn't matter what your role is. Um <clears throat> and I kinda learned that from Chris mm. uh in, in Dublin. So I did that for a year and a half and I I I got worn out. Um it was a tough studio to work in. Chris was great, but it was a tough environment. And I found myself changing as a person. I was getting bitter and I was quite um just didn't like who I was becoming. And I said, All right, I'm out, I'm just gonna leave and I'm going to go to the other side of the planet. I'm going to go to Australia or New Zealand. I have no plan, but that's what I'm going to do. So I came in and I resigned, and I just had this weight lifted off my shoulders. And about 10 days later, there was a post-it note on my computer screen, call Steve. And I went, okay. So I called the number, and it's a guy called Stephen Averill, Steve Averill. And he said, we have a job in our studio. We'd like to talk to you. And I'd met Steve a year previously and kept in touch with them. And um, I went for the interview, scared shitless, like really terrified. Four people in the studio, well, three and one uh, an available spot, um, <clears throat> and they do all the work for you too. Mm. And they work with Elvis Costello, and they since work with Depeche Mode, and they were in the music mm. industry. Um, and I did an interview there, and I remember it was about eight o'clock in the evening. On my birthday, I had friends around the house, get a phone call, and it was Steve. He said, we'd like to take you on as, as, as our next studio person. Wow. And I was terrified and excited. Mm. I really didn't think I could yeah, do this. Yeah. I thought, geez, these guys are incredible. Um, and then another life experience, Steve became a friend. Yeah. Uh, so we're still friends. Um, and he treated me like an equal. Mm. And he treated me like a person, and he showed me the humanity around how design operates. It was it was really good.
0: Yeah. It just made me think: Do I treat you as a person? I thought, <laughs> how have I been treating you? And do you? Does that come across that people don't treat you as a person? Because the fact that you say that, yeah, must be, you must no, encounter that over time where yeah, you feel like uh, people are treating you badly or something. I, no,
1: I think people can treat you where there's an angle, treat, people can treat you like they want something, or there's an expectation. And that's more common than we probably acknowledge. Yeah. And then there's people who just treat I just you... just you on
0: my podcast. So yeah.
1: <laughs> but then there's people who treat you for who you are. Yeah. And they don't try and say, you need to know your place. Mm. And he was very much about, you know, you're, you're with us. It doesn't matter that you're yeah. a junior or not. And I remember when I left, um, Steve said to me, you can show anything in your portfolio anything that happened in the studio over the last year and a half because you were in the room. Even if you made a comment or you saw something, you were part of it. That's incredibly generous. Yeah. Um, And he kept my position open for a year, which they never did. And he said, if you want to come back after a year, we're more than happy to have you. So. so
0: did Bono ever come in?
1: He did once, wow. um, but he came in and very quickly went to where Steve was. And, right. and, but I had That must have been incredible. Uh, well, I had, I had some great conversations with uh, Larry Mullen and wow. Adam. I wanted to see Edge, but he never came when I was there. Uh, but I remember sitting right next to Elvis Costello. We were working on the computer, and he was like, oh, try this, and working collaboratively on some EPs that he was doing. Oh. And he was awesome. He was amazing. So Yeah. Um, yeah, so it was
0: Isn't that incredible. And
1: ironically, I was in the music industry, which is what got me into design, right? On all this work. And I thought I've I've arrived. I'm yeah, here.
0: Yeah. But So how long were you there for? A year and a half. And then what happened? Was obviously
1: uh,
0: I decided to move on.
1: Yeah, well what what happened was number one I, I felt that I kind of achieved what I'd set out to do. And while everybody was incredible and I still loved Steve DeBits, um I could see my future ahead of me. I could see myself in the studio for 10 years or longer, getting a house in Dublin, doing the whole thing and just being where I was. And even at that Which age...
0: Which a dream for a lot of people.
1: Yeah. And, and even at that age, I was 23, I was, uh, I was thinking, there's a bigger world out there. I need to explore it. So I'm going to go to the furthest part I possibly can on the planet, New Zealand, and start there and see what happens. And that's what I did
0: Do you kind of self-sabotage your life at times?
1: No. I I do what I call taking considered risks. Um, And I also feel that if I get to a stage where I feel like I'm not growing or learning, I don't need something new. I need something radical Mm. to to, to take me into another area where I'm totally out of my comfort zone or where I don't have control of where it's going to go. And then I have to decide can I make it work? How do I make it work? How does this change me as a person? Um, And that to me has been probably specific through my career is taking considered risks, if not in my location, but in the work I've done and the the ways I've tried to do things and just step outside my comfort zone.
0: It's interesting you say that because I guess we both (coughs) travel a lot uh, Mm. separately, but my travel has always been, I guess, instigated by an opportunity. Hmm. So I don't go right. I'm going to New Zealand. I I don't know what's going to happen. I'm going go yep. to go, Z- like I'll find a job, whatever. I don't. I I go. Someone approaches me about an opportunity. Uh-huh. I consider it, uh-huh. uh, analyze it, and then and then either do it or not do it. And that's what takes me into different different directions.
1: See, that's a smart way to do it. <laughs> and I'm not smart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: but being being consistent yeah. at wanting to do better wanting wanting life to be better wanting to do better things um, or just to grow learn yeah, yeah
1: exactly grow um, I, I remember um, you know there was a point in in my life and in my career where I, I said I need to invest in myself hmm. and that is in knowledge that's in growing yeah um, and that can only happen if we do something feel like we fill that box and then do something else and not something similar but something you know yeah. quite different or quite um, challenging
0: so you moved to New Zealand <clears throat> yep something happened there then you end up in Australia yeah, um, yeah. at Saatchi Design
1: mm. yeah. uh,
0: creative director there or yeah. joint creative director yeah. there which I think I met you a few yeah. times on projects as well there yeah um, and then you made that big move to Kananara which is that's radical uh, yeah that was radical and and, and I was like yeah. what the hell Yeah. why are you in Kananara yep. which is a population just for the audience a population of about five and a half thousand people yep and I remember, you know, I was, I was kind of amazed by that. And, like, I think a year or so later, I had a client pop up in Kananara, of all places. Mm-hmm. Um, this was Marilyn Bailey. And we also were,
1: and also for your, your listeners, it's a 10-hour flight from Sydney. It's yeah, not like it's, it's... a long way. It, it's, it's at the top end of Western Australia. And it's... Uh,
0: Kimberley's is beautiful, near yeah. the Kimberley's. Is, and it's just spectacular <clears throat> place. Yeah.
1: And the next nearest urban hub is a one-hour flight in either direction. Yeah. So it's like living in London, and the next sort of urban hub is Dublin. Nothing much in yeah. between.
0: Oh, I was working with Marilyn Pascale on, mm. we had the opportunity, we were doing the NT, Northern Territories, branding and uh, advertising at the time. Mm. And we had the opportunity to help them brand <coughs> mm-hmm. uh, Kakadu, which was really exciting. And yeah. they said, hey, I'm going to do a new hotel in Kananara and in Broome, and, and uh, we'd love mm-hmm. you to kind of look at that. I said, so I won the job. And I got to Kananara and walking around going, the, vill- the town. Nobody was around at the time. Yep. I went, hang on a minute. This is where Kevin is. So I called. Ke- I called you yep. and thinking, hey man, I got a client in <laughs> kind our of, well, of all places, I, I, and it turns out to be your client. Yeah, or well, was your client? It was it was it was it was it was <laughs> crazy because I felt I, terrible.
1: No, no, because I remember this. We were just talking previously that I remember this like as clear as day. Um, my phone rang and and it was you, and you said, hey. Where are you? That was the opening line. Yeah. I was like, um, "I'm in Kananara. Yeah, but where in Kananara. I just walked out of the post office. Oh, great! I'm next door at the there golf a club. There was post office. Yeah, there was. <laughs> <laughs> there was like a country club golf course thingy yeah. that, that was a hotel, and uh, I was like, "What the hell are you doing here?" Um, and you ended up working with the the business that I fired after three weeks because yeah. I just think, didn't think it was a good fit. Um, no. and you're like oh my god have i stole someone from you I said, no, no, well no, no it's no. like you
0: fired the only possible <laughs> client in the village <laughs> yep <laughs> yep well that's kind of like that you would do that i would never do that i go you know i'm just gonna persevere and make it work but no. i'm thankful for that thank you for, um, <laughs> for for allowing me to have the opportunity yeah. my, i was guilt-ridden for days no. days after that no. so you've been prolific with your writing um you've done mm. things like um a whole bunch of things like obviously the manifesto and the new book. Mm. What, what was the kind of the what's the, what drives that? What drives the kind of your motivation to document things or to interview mm. people or to create a book? Mm. There's plenty of brand books out there. Mm. What's the difference about your book on branding? Uh, if you want to unpack that,
1: yeah. Um, part of it to begin with is it goes back to what I said earlier about investment in myself, and that was investment in knowledge. Um, and I find that. To have knowledge and to hoard it is just it's against my values. Mm-hmm. So what I've always tried to do is say, if I learn something, I want to share it. Yeah. That's that's the kind of the, the first foundation. Very generous. Um, <clears throat> with the book, there was sort of three main pillars that uh, I wanted to share. Um, one was um, that there's a bit of a myth, I find, a myth in our field in the design, graphic design branding space where... Designers will say, you know, we build brands. Mm. And I've always struggled with that because mm. what we do is branding and it's the businesses that will build their own brand. I find it misleading from our field. I find it almost dangerous as well for some of the businesses. You could kind of fall for that and think yeah. that they'll just do a, a branding thing and well, we're done. We're a brand. Um, <clears throat> so I wanted to write the book for business owners to say that here's the difference between brand and branding and here's who's responsible for either of them. That was one of the first pillar. The second pillar was um, over the years I've been having a number of conversations with businesses where there was a pattern of the questions that mm-hmm. they had and the, and the things I was trying to share with them. And I uh, I think in 2013, I kind of listed them into what I thought were uh, a series of principles for what m- makes a brand. Mm-hmm. And there was 15 of them. And I worked on that for about eight to 10 years, trialing it in, in the trenches, so to speak, and I had a really, really good positive response from business owners. So I thought the second pillar of the book was to bring those principles into a place where I could talk in more detail about it and in a way that uh, a business owner could understand. And that was the second sort of pillar. Mm. The third pillar was then something that you and I are very um, kind of aligned with is where is the future heading? Where are we in terms of not just in in our field, but in society and that? And I struggle with what does the future hold? What does it look like in our space and in the brand space and Mm -hmm. in business? And I went on all these tangents when I was researching about it could be this and it could be a bunch of these things. And I landed on one word. um, And that became the third pillar of the book, which is impact. Now, I separate impact out from purpose, because there's a lot of organizations out there that are purpose led and mm. purpose-driven, and yeah. that's great. Um, there's a lot of greenwashing around that as well. Mm-hmm. And what I felt and what how it sort of became clear to me during the book was purpose is motivational, impact is measurable. Mm-hmm. Now, without purpose, impact is scattershot. You can go in any direction. Mm. Yeah. But without impact, purpose can end up languishing as a poster in the Staff Kitchen and no further are on the website oh like in our studio <clears throat> thanks no, but like it, we're it, trying to sell those by the way <laughs> there is a purpose <laughs> no, and but hopefully you know, impact but you yeah, know what I mean, what it's mean. like a bunch of words that yeah. people go oh we've got a purpose see yeah, the poster yeah, 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 it's yeah. over there it, yeah. it's not in the DNA um, and I think that when you put impact zip service yeah when you put impact and purpose together then you're accountable you're mm. responsible you can see where your words and actions marry up mm. so that was the third pillar for the book was to bring that in and talk to businesses that may not understand what's coming or how to get there mm-hmm. and get the reassurance that all of the signals are heading this way. Um, if you want to remain relevant, this is where you need to go. Um, and that's that's kind of the third part of the book. Uh,
0: you gave it to me uh, kindly before it went to print. You gave me a digital version of it. Yeah. I kind of, what came across, as you just said just now, I kind of felt like there was quite a wasn't a jab at the industry, the yep. branding industry, but it was kind of there yep. was a point where you're going, yep. you know, it's it's misleading yep. how companies, branding businesses, mm-hmm. are position themselves as if they are creating that organization, the success of that organization, when really yep. they are making it look better, perhaps.
1: Well, I mean, there there are cases where designers can help build brands, and I outline that in, in mm. the book. There's yeah. three cases. Um, what I also think is that, that there's there's a few aspects to it. Number one, if if our field stays in the logos and the communications space um, for much longer, and that's as far as we go, and we try and dress that up as something mm. bigger than it is, AI is coming around the corner. It's already here, Massively. right? So what we've done is we've commoditized our field. Mm-hmm. Um, and that means another aspect is we've left a lot on the table.
0: Yeah.
1: And, and what I see now is that our role isn't as service providers. Uh, our role should be more as, as advisors. We should be working um, to challenge these businesses and to help them see where things are going. Mm-hmm. And in, in many cases to to say to them, you know what, your best use of your money is to go and use some of these other facilities, You know, whatever it might be, mm-hmm. um, rather than us do that stuff, but what we can do is this bigger stuff, this yeah. bigger mindset that will help you navigate through where you need to get to as a business, and not as a business to make money, uh, to have an impact that's going to keep you relevant. Mm-hmm. And I have this little formula, that, uh, formula, like a little equation that I now say, and I've been using it with businesses, and it's landed really, really well. Normally, businesses start with money. How do we make more money? How do we grow? And I go, okay, that's a bit old and dated now. I'm talking about flipping it. And I say, you start with impact. How can you make an impact? Because impact equals relevance equals return. And that return could be money, revenue. It could be growth. It could be um, profile. It could be a whole bunch of things, whatever Mm. return you're looking for. Mm -hmm. But if you start with impact, then you're going to be relevant in a broader society yeah. and that's where the transaction happens at the end so the, the return is the outcome and most businesses start with the outcome how do we get the outcome like, so I've been flipping that with businesses that I've been working with and it's landed really well because they now see that money or that revenue or that return will grow if our impact has value and is mm-hmm. relevant to our community our audience our society mm. um, so that's been a big sort of push in the book and i think that's a conversation that the design field can have yeah with businesses yeah um and have a bigger conversation with them
0: i think that's really it's really interesting and you know incredible that you put that effort into making that book and highly recommend it the business of design <coughs> is mm-hmm. also a real interesting subject too because mm-hmm. obviously a lot of people who are doing branding uh, yeah. apart from the big Corporate yep. organizations or the big media groups who have, are really well established, got a mm. massive amount of backing behind them, <clears throat> um, and a history. As a lot of the design companies, smaller design companies doing branding are, mm. um, it's a generalization, but I mean, just, just knowing through running a business for 27 years now, I know how hard it is to mm. run a business, yep. let alone a design company yep. or a branding business, and, yep. and constantly learning how to improve that, how to make yep. it a better business to enable us to do better work and serve our customers better. And it's like that, that's really interesting because the more you know about, the deeper you get into the business of design yep. Yep. and the, the quest, as I say, for mm. trying to get it as best as it possibly can be, those learnings help you enormously for actually being able to advise other people in business, because Absolutely. you then get it more. It's yep. not just a creative outlet. It's yep. not just a creative expression. It actually yep. is about business, about creating impact, about yep. creating success in the world. Yep. We always start with our clients, going, "What does success look like for you? Yep. Well, what are you looking for? I mean, yep. you know, impact. Yep. What What is it that you're looking for? Versus you know, just a nice yep. logo or refresh or whatever. Yep. What are you trying to achieve by talking mm-hmm. to us about this? I also find We've, over the years, started projects and tried to start other businesses, and mm. recently we started a new shop, and we've mm-hmm. done self-published books, and we've done candles and things like that. Yeah. We've kind of created other brands, and we've launched those, and we've invested in those. And it's really a massive learning, again, yep. a massive learning yep. of how, how different it is to be a service you know, as opposed to mm. being a service to a client, yep. you're actually being your own client or setting your own brand yep. and creating a plan and creating a, you know, what is the impact you want to create? What does success look like for you? And, and and be responsible for the whole thing. Because yep. often we're just we're responsible for a bit of it and we're trying to claim it all. <laughs> you know. Well, totally. That's what happens. That's kind of, I think that's what you're yeah. referring to in terms of yeah. uh, brand versus brand. And right?
1: and we haven't been trained in no. business, right? So if you look at the big companies you referenced, they've got people who do mbas and they, they're exactly. business people they understand it and then they've got people to do all the creative side who have a job there whereas when you're running a creative practice you're learning by you know it's just the big um <clears throat> design thinking um mantra learn through doing right or learn yeah. by doing and yeah, yeah. you only learn by by doing and trying things and if,
0: you're if you well. want to if you want to yeah
1: and and i think that we've somehow found ourselves in this position where the design field thinks that money is a dirty word or business is a bad word. I mean, sorry,
0: it isn't if it's done in a world. Yeah,
1: and I I think that again, if we expand the conversation out and you're very much in this space too, is that we need to talk about design on a much bigger level and if we're helping the people we work with to design their business that's different to saying we're going to design your identity and do some comms. Yeah. So if we can be advisors and if we can be partners and if we can help to get the businesses where they need to get to and not where they want to, where they need to, mm. right? That's the difference too. Yeah, yeah. Then we need to have that language. Yeah. We need to understand how business works, which is what you were saying. And I think that there's a uh, we're coming to the end of our field where just churning out designers, practitioners is, isn't going to work. It needs to have a much more holistic way of how we think as designers, designing experiences, circumstances, environments, yeah. businesses that isn't just um, craft. Yeah. We're training craft practitioners. Yeah. We're not training designers. So um so of I mean, craft's a vital part, it's a of big it.
0: part of it, yeah. You know, a font to color, yeah, totally. how you feel, you know, creating <clears throat> a sensory yep. kind of stimulus is all yep. it's definitely about it. But,
1: but not in a vacuum. No. You need to know what where it's going and what it's yeah. doing and what what the purpose of it is.
0: I think you know the, the the best outcome is create a team to deliver on that yeah. or focus on I mean, for a long, long time we were basically kind of coming up with our you know, trusting our intuition, yep. which you should do, of yeah, course. Yeah. Um but also and and not but not just rely on your past experiences, see each new experience as a, yeah. a new opportunity and take all those learnings, yep. but and enhance it. How do we get to an how do we actually get to success, guaranteed success? Because I think yeah. that's the ultimate is like get to the act yeah. a- absolute guaranteeing this is gonna work. Yep. Because there's still an element of risk no matter how yep. good we think we are. Totally. Or how how many people we have around the table.
1: And and here's the reality, right? If we if we're working with a business that says how do we guarantee success and that and I say there's there's two responses to that. Number one, success is not guaranteed. Number one. Damn. And number two you just you get, just but, burst my bubble but, there. But getting to the success is hard work. Yeah. So in order to get to that success, if you don't know where you're heading, how are you going to get there? Yeah. So you need to know what success looks like. Mm-hmm. And then if you think you've articulated success and go, oh, great, we're done. We just have to you know, take a few seconds. No, that's the hard work to get there. And I think what separates the really successful businesses is the ones that are willing to do the hard work. Mm-hmm. Actually, first identify where they want to be clearly. And then identify that they've gotta do the hard work to get there. It's it's that last mile and the hard work where it separates those who succeed and who don't Mm. because um it is hard work. Um
0: and often I talk to my guys (laughs) around, you know, with a with a particular project and just go try to think about this project as if it's your own business. Yeah. And it really is a big difference. You can't yeah. possibly even imagine what it's, what it's like, I guess. I mean, in an ideal scenario, you want everyone working on projects to be yeah. on, have an entrepreneurial mindset yeah. and, and, and that kind of spirit. But a lot of us creative people didn't go to business school. We were bad yeah. academically, and we, yeah. we went to creative a yeah. creative outlet because it's something that flowed
1: yeah. and felt Naturally. much more natural. Yeah. Yeah. But here's the thing, though. One of the greatest um, assets of a designer is empathy. We just have that. That's part of how we see the world and how we need to understand how the world operates. And I think if we apply that to, if we have empathy for a business owner, how do we think Mm. they might be living their day? How do we think we might be able to help challenge or or progress them? And that's empathy. It doesn't necessarily need to have an MBA. It just needs to kind of go, can I walk in your shoes and try and help you? through intuition and through my experience. And and what they don't need is another MBA student telling them how to do what they already read about. What they need is someone to come in and say, here's another way of thinking. And the difference is business is about what is, data, analytics, past case studies, records, and what design is, is what could be, what Mm. if. And that's where the marriage of business and design works. The business has to be solid and juggling all of the practical concerns. And the design creator side has come in and say, what if it could be this? Let's challenge that. Let's take you somewhere you haven't thought about. And the key is giving them the reassurance that it's okay to do that. And that's a skill in its own right.
0: Absolutely. Um, and being kind of determined to find that the magic or the the clues or yeah, the, the insights. nuances yeah, insights, the insights. Cetera, yeah. that other people might just completely just dis- disregard you had an incredible opportunity i 'm so envious of and oh. i didn 't steal your client Edward de Bono, yeah. who's an amazing guy sadly passed away yeah. last year um, you, you helped him with his brand and his his <clears> books I mean the guy's published eighty five books uh, yep. in yep. forty five yep. languages yep um, incredible guy, massive kind of about the creative. Yeah. Uh, six hats and yeah. lateral thinking. He's the
1: godfather of design thinking. Incredible man.
0: Um, yeah. And as I said, sadly, he's, he's passed mm-hmm. away. But his, his books and his influence has, has lived mm-hmm. on. I don't think people in the in the creative industry really understand the value and importance of him and the way that he thought and, and his yeah. books, et cetera. But you got an opportunity to meet yeah. him and work with him, yeah. design his books. Um, yeah. t- do you want to talk about that?
1: Yeah, that was, that was interesting because I was working with the... Um, the management company for the rights of his work. And that meant that I had to work with him as well a little bit, but I was working mainly with the CEO of that organization. And what it ended up being was he'd never had a cohesive visual language for his work. So <laughs> what it ended up He didn't up doing...
0: value creativity.
1: No, no, uh, <laughs> or no, branding. Or no, what? because it was it was organically happening ah, over the 50 over years. Time, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was just producing work and working with different and also working with Publishing houses, who they would do the covers, yeah, and yeah. that, and because he was a, a sort of a brand personality at the time, he just was him, right? Yeah. But we were talking about legacy, so we at the time he was eighty-two, I think, and we were thinking we need the next generation to mm-hmm. be able to carry on his work because he won't be producing work anymore. Um, so we said the work we're doing is legacy work, and it's the springboard for the next generation. That was that was the plan. Mm. Um, what it amounted to was. And and I share your um, awe of this, and I'm still pinching myself. I had to, I was tasked to do a visual language and branding for his life's work. This is what it boiled down to. Yeah, fifty years. Huge responsibility. Yeah, and because I was a, you didn't say
0: screw it, I'm off to uh, (laughs) to Ireland.
1: No, uh, for me it was it was one of those things where this is a challenge. I'll grow doing this, um, and I'm terrified. Mm. And, um, and the thing w- with, with the work was it had to be a legacy, but it also had to have his personality. It had to be simple enough to work on uh, the spine of a book mm. um, and the visual language need to work on all of the book covers in a unified way. Mm-hmm. Also work with translations, as you pointed out, all over the world, different mm-hmm. translations. So it had to be sort of templated with his own character as well so each one had to be individual and it had to be part of a set and there was 54 books we had to narrow it down from 85 to the 56 oh, yeah wow um, and um, part of that too was um, he's a very he was into puzzles and fun and how we think because his whole life's work is really thinking as a skill and creativity as a skill mm. you can be taught it it doesn't have to be just natural mm. you can have it naturally but you can also be taught so we had to try and bundle all that into something simple and flexible and be the springboard for the next generation and uh it was a two-year project and it was very hard
0: what did it teach you apart from crapping yourself
1: um it taught me about
0: I mean, did he have conversations with the time about lateral no, thinking, no, creativity? No, no. I had
1: about maybe a handful oh, of conversations. Yeah, I had a handful really? of conversations with him. Um, I started the whole thing um, doing an interview with him for the project. Um, but there was a couple of um, dinners we were just c- catching up and it wasn't b- about the project at all. Um, and then there was moments where I would be like sending questions, for example, just an email just to get, get some information – but no, he w- he wasn't really involved too much with that. And I think mm. that was by design. I think he wanted to separate himself out from what we knew was, this is the legacy work. It's not where he is now. But what was beautiful, um, we did all the work. And by we, I mean myself and, and Amanda Mobs, who was the um, CEO of the De Bono Global at the time. Uh, and she was a total collaborator on this. We... It was his birthday, and his son said, we want to get all of the 56 book covers um, framed and given to him for his birthday. Mm-hmm. And there were so many, that to do two, two of them, right? So it was like 25 and 28 or something. Um, and they opened it, and apparently his response was like, Amazing. What the hell is this? No, yeah. he'd no, he he he'd sort of seen it, like all the work coming through, <laughs> yeah. but he hadn't seen it like oh, that. in mass. Yeah, he hadn't seen wow. it like, this is your life's work. And Crikey. apparently that was the thing for him that made him just go, I can now visualize 50 years. Um, and to me, that's quite a humbling thing to be oh, able yeah. to, to do.
0: Um, he didn't go, I'm not sure about that font you used there, Kev.
1: No. No, they were they were very. Um, <laughs> I'm joking. No, no, but the, but it was but, it was interesting. They were very much about. Um, we'll talk about some of the work, but generally, once Amanda and I were confident that what we were putting forward was the right thing, it was more a case of this is what we're doing. Do you have any concerns? And I was carry on.
0: What was the link with Australia? though? Because he's obviously here quite a bit too. Wasn't yeah. He, he Where his office was based here. He had a, out of Malta. Originally,
1: yeah, I guess. yeah, yeah. He 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 had a. There was some. If we're talking markets, he, one of his biggest markets was Australia. There was a, a response in this country mm. for the work he was doing, which meant that he would come here regularly because there was a response. There was a, a market for it. There was an audience. Um, some of so he had um, like people here who were stationed here. I mean, De Bono Global was based out of Sydney.
0: Yeah. You know? I mean, obviously, he was going around the world at yeah. conferences and lecturing yeah. and stuff. I mean, he, he did, as I said, 85 books in his lifetime. Um, you've done two this year. <laughs> so are you, are you on your, I was like, 85 books seems a hell of a lot to, <laughs> yeah. to achieve. Um, yeah. I mean, they're relatively small, but they're really important. So um, are, so you, you are you reckon two heading, a year maybe? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, is that what's happening here? You uh, go, that's my model.
1: <clears throat> no, look, that's I mean, my impact. The Open Manifesto book was a compilation of 15 years of work over mm. eight journals. Yeah. Um, so that's a 15 year project. And mm. we've got eight journals and one book. So yeah. that's that's a pretty, it's a lot, a lot, but it's, you know, 15 years. It took a year and a half to pull together um, to get the anthology. The Brand Principles book was a three-year writing it and a year and a half just trying to edit it and get it published. as was a four-and-a-half-year project, really. Um, I immediately could see a sequel to The Brand Principles, which I'm... Um, keeping off my table for the moment Mm -hmm. but I do think that there's a sequel coming on that and uh, I'm keen to do that Mm -hmm. Um, and I think I'm at a point in my career where I I seem like I'm gravitating towards how can I share what I've learned in a way that is consumable Mm. and is practical and is useful has value through doing the brand principles I kind of coined my own purpose if you like Mm -hmm. um, and took me about two years to figure it out actually it's very simple and it is um to have a positive impact at scale so that's kind of where i'm pointing towards now and i think having a book and like a podcast that you have here and design your life Mm -hmm. that allows it to scale whereas if you're in a room talking to a small audience it's contained to that yeah so i think now i'm i'm moving more towards how do i scale a positive impact and and um Books are part of that, I think, or content is part yeah, of that. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I mean, I think that, that you, you're kind of taking a more, I guess, academic route in some regards. I mean, you've still got your <clears> design practice, yeah. right? Still uh, yeah, doing and, and
1: I think it's interesting that we think of it that way because as visual designers, we think anything that's written in a book format is like academic. And I actually think um, we should be very much about reading as well and and, and consuming that kind of knowledge. Yeah. And with the brand principles, that wasn't written for our field. It was written for business owners to be better equipped to have conversations with our field. Mm -hmm. And what I'm learning is that our field is resonating with this book because what I've been told is it's giving them the language that they can use to talk to businesses. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's been a really interesting and, and humbling experience where I wrote it for the business world to see if I can get them to help the design field. And what I'm seeing is that both sides of that equation seem to be learning from this to have a conversation that articulates where things need to go mm-hmm. um, and that to me is probably my my biggest ambition
0: that's really cool and 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 for what what in terms of brands that are doing it right, we talked about mm. obviously the brand principles <clears throat> that you set yep. and how to the difference between brands that are are not getting it right or yeah. I guess creative companies or brand branding agencies who yep. are saying that they're branding when they're not. Like You mentioned you had three examples. Just give me one one example that is what you mean by well, I think, when it's right.
1: Yeah, I think there's there's um, there's a really good example that I've got in the book about a, a business that has become a brand and they're doing it right and I'll touch on that in a second. But where I think um, designers can help build a brand and there's the three cases. One is um, if they're long-term partners <clears throat> like with with you, you'll have 10-year relationships with yeah. organizations, and that's a long-term partnership where you're involved on a regular basis to yeah. help them build where they're going to go. So I see that as one of the roles a designer can mm-hmm. have to build a brand. Another one is if you're the founder of an organization, Jack Dorsey of Twitter or um, Mel from Canva, designers who created their own businesses that mm-hmm. have become brands because they're doing it every day and they're using the design skills. Yeah. The third example is... If you're in-house, working every day in-house on on a business, if the business allows you as a designer to have a seat at the table, then you're in a position to help build that brand. Mm -hmm. They're the three cases where I think designers can. Anything outside of that is marketing, identity, comms. It's not building brands. Mm.
0: Whereas More of aesthetic.
1: Yeah, it's more of how how do you give the tools and the platforms in order to help you build your brand rather than us doing it. Mm -hmm. Very briefly, in the book, there's a great case study of a gentleman called uh, Michael Astoria who set up a, he was ex-advertising. He wanted to get out of advertising and, and just set up a new business entirely in a different sector. And he set up a pizza shop called Ann Pizza. He had no I- experience in, in the, this sector, hospitality. Um, he opened the business with the highest cost of labor, highest cost of ingredients, everything he wanted to get the best of everything, and he was terrified. But he went out and he started in Washington, D.C. The difference there was he built into the business. He wanted to give his staff a living wage. And in America, that's a big thing. Mm. uh, That's huge. And he said, you're not going to live off tips. You're going to have a living wage. Mm -hmm. And that was the thing where he said, that's where our impact is. Six months later, word got out. There's this cool pizza company that does really good pizza, but they're paying a living wage. And the queues went around the corner. Mm -hmm. So they were supporting Cut a long story short, that then ended up being thirty-five restaurants around the country, in six markets, I think. Um and then the government shutdown happened in America. And he said, Anyone who's furloughed from government, come to us, free pizza for you. We're gonna we're gonna you supported us, we're gonna support you. So they put their money where their mouth is and Mm -hmm. said, There you go, we're gonna give you free pizzas. Not only that, he has been campaigning, he's been in Capitol Hill for a living wage. So where I see it's working is that it's not we're running a business and we've got some good ethics. It's we're going to identify where we can help the community who helped us. And also we're going to go out and because it's in our DNA, we're going to campaign or we're going to do everything we can for what we believe in. And we will not make a decision if it counters our beliefs. For money or anything else we're mm-hmm. just going to stick to that and i think Ann pizza is a really good example from a zero start from nothing business to a 35 shop what's now i think a brand in 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 america built on genuine values ethics about living wage and sticking to that and making it part of your dna yeah i guess
0: the the founder of patagonia is a similar another another example of yeah that.
1: Yeah, and what I I've, what I've found writing the book was that we need other examples that aren't just Patagonia because yeah. people are now like, oh, it's Patagonia, great, and yeah. they're big. And the, and I think what, what I found with the research with the book is, is other businesses and other business leaders who are maybe not building their brand around this, but it's becoming more evident in what mm. they're doing, and that's where the signals are heading. And I think what we have to do is not bash some businesses saying, that's not enough, you should be doing more. I think what we should do is say... I'm really glad you're doing this. Mm-hmm. This is a great start. Yeah. How do we encourage you to keep going down this path? How do we reward you for that? Because yeah. it's easy for us to sit back and criticize because it's not a Patagonia or it's not yeah, a yeah. Ann pizza. Um, but,
0: I mean, all, all those all those projects are an idea, mm. an idea that's popped into somebody's head or something that someone's seen as a, as a gap in the market. Or
1: but I think in, in some of these cases, I think with, um, with Patagonia and with Aunt Pizza, it's, it's less about an idea more about a belief. Mm-hmm. It's a belief that we can do it a way that isn't being done, or it's a way we can do it better. And that's what design is all about. Design is about how we improve upon what's there. or yeah. How do we create something new? And I think if you have a belief, then you can have ideas inside that belief, and then those ideas can manifest into whatever it is, mm. but it has to come from a belief. And yeah. in Patagonia's case and in and Pizza's case, it comes from personal values, a personal belief in yeah, yeah. the way they want to see the world, and then that, to me, is is where we're seeing this shifting. I think
0: a lot of people have these ideas. I think it's, One thing is having them and another thing is acting on them. Yeah. Or persevering even against the odds and making them yep. come to life because that's what yep. – a lot of people kind of back down and go, you know what? This is too hard or yep. hard I need work? to go back to my yeah. day job yep. of servicing other people, you know? Which,
1: which we shouldn't judge. We should say, okay, you know? Yeah, no, of course. But, but I think – um, G Lee said this best when he said, um, ideas are nothing, doing is everything. Mm. And we need to have that balance between you have an idea, but you've got to do the hard work to get there. Yeah. Um, and I think the best way to do that is collaborate.
0: Yeah, totally agree. Seeing the world through kids' eyes mm. is uh, something I've talked about with my kids. When they were young, I realized like they really opened up a new world, uh, the world. Mm. You said the other day to me about um, the fact that your son, Elan, um, did something similar, like, yep. un- unpack that?
1: Well, um, I gave you three sort of pillars for why the book was done, right? But the actual whole premise was I, I wrote it for him mm-hmm. and his generation and where we're heading in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a dedication at the beginning of the book where I just acknowledge him as an inspiration to me. Um, oh, it's dedicated no, no. to Vince Frost. No, um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and... Um, it's just, when I look at kids, they don't judge. They just see the world as a way to explore and learn. And what I love with, with Ilan, particularly, um, we'll say to him, like for school, do you want to do volleyball? Do you want to do tennis? Do you want to do debating? Do you want to do robotics? What do you want to do? He says, I want to do them all. Mm. Like, he's just, he doesn't judge himself and think I can't do it. Mm. He doesn't say, maybe I shouldn't do this, maybe I should do that. Um, he goes into everything he does and this is lots of kids goes into everything he does and he does his best it's about learning and about growing and about just experiencing Mm. he doesn't judge himself or others and that to me is how i try and see he might change he's 11 now right so 16 he might change totally but that's that's kind of how i've I've been inspired through him
0: obviously encourage that continue um and that that kind of Incredible optimism is what we need in the world, you know? We need more of that.
1: Yeah. I think it's Bill Gates who said, with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, it's aggressive optimism. I think that's how they've they've described it, I think. How do people get hold of your book? Um, You can get it in Australia and New Zealand through Booktopia, Mm -hmm. and you can get it internationally on Book Depository.
0: Okay. Uh, Last question. Mm. Have you designed your life?
1: Um, I think I've designed the circumstances that, um, have led me to where I am. Um, now I use a definition that Edward de Bonnet gave me about design. I asked him literally once, "What's your definition of design?" And he's mm. given me three words: design is deliberate. And I use that definition today. It is a deliberate series of choices to an outcome, and we do it deliberately. Even if we're lazy about it, we're deliberately lazing. Even if we don't listen to advisors, and we deliberately don't listen mm. to them so it's deliberate it's yeah, a deliberate action like to that. get to an outcome so for me design is deliberate mm-hmm. in how i've designed my life um probably in the last few years i have probably deliberately designed it i've designed my day i've designed mm-hmm. how much work i do and how much work i spend with my son how much time i spend working on myself mm-hmm. going to the gym and just learning about stuff You're looking good uh, <laughs> um <laughs> but i think more often than That through my life, I think I've designed the circumstances or the permission to take considered risks. So if I design my career to take risks, I don't know what the outcome is going to be, but I've designed the circumstance for that. And each considered risk I've taken has led to the next considered risk. So possibly design the framework Mm. of my life, but I'll leave open what happens in that framework to. Whatever else going well, on. It's interesting
0: because you create that. I guess uh, um, you close a door to open a door that's you don't know what's behind it. Yep. With the view that you're open to things coming your way, yep. whereas I guess I'm like I need to work, I work out the what's worst case scenario. What's behind the door? Yeah. <laughs> what's behind
1: the door? I want to open. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah.
0: It's like okay. Um, and very, so for me, very if, different mindset.
1: If, if if I don't open that door. I don't know where that door's gonna take me could take me to five other doors and I don't know where those are gonna take if i need if I know where those doors are going to me it's it's predetermined and I think that personally for me is is a way that I don't learn so I need to design the framework to allow for these chances and opportunities mm. to happen that I don't see or haven't seen or haven't anticipated um and that to me is kind of where I've designed my life is the framework yeah,
0: I Think yeah. the designer's response to that would be does it have to be a door <laughs> 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 anyways Kevin yeah. Finn it's been so cool to catch up with you oh, um, thank you so much for making your way down from Brisbane to see us today yes. um, yeah cool oh,
1: thank you so much for having me
0: thanks for tuning in to today's episode of design your life with designer author and good friend Kevin Finn Stay tuned for fortnightly episodes every second Tuesday with future guests, including British leatherworks expert, Bill Amberg and Miller Knowles workplace and design expert, Ryan Anderson. Thanks for listening to this episode of Design Your Life. If you'd like to find out more about how you can design your life, head to the website at designyourlife.com.au. If you found this episode inspiring, please don't forget to review and subscribe. If you have any ideas or like to get in touch, we would love to hear from you. Send us an email at hello at frostcollective.com.au.